Movies by Minutes, project number five. It's Silverado this time. That's no jive by Lawrence Kasdan, who wrote the show. Let's settle up now, kids, because here we go. Howdy, and welcome to another episode of the Silverado Minute. Each week, Movies by Minutes hosts examine the 1985 Lawrence Kasdan-directed western, Silverado. One minute of screen time per episode. I'll be your host all this week. You can call me The Professor. Stephen Harvey, Film Comment, July-August 1985. Quote, For a movie staple ostensibly rooted in a very specific time and place, the western is really the most classic of genres. Historically, every decade's glut in routine westerns has precipitated a sudden drought. Then, inevitably, our steadfast pioneer archetypes have been gussied up in a new set of duds to suit the galloping zeitgeist. In the late 30s, fear of dark political doings perpetrated by them crooked Easterners over there in Europe prompted a wave of isolationist nostalgia for those folks who settled the Mohawk, and good old boys like Jesse and Frank James. During the 50s, Unsettling events closer to home inspired a spate of angst-spattered morality plays starring a principled individualist with guts enough to stand tall, while the cowed mob quaked. The most recent sagebrush boomlet, which commenced 15 years ago, likewise filled a moral imperative. The Western became a picturesque and sufficiently remote dumping ground for our queasy feelings about the present-day rapacity, racism, and manifest destiny gone haywire. More practically, the Western was likewise useful as the penultimate roundup for a corral full of grizzled stars who'd been loping across the big screen for a quarter century or more. End quote. Of our major actors here, nine actors with an average age of only 38, Dennehy is the oldest. Glenn has been acting the longest, but none are the grizzled stars referred to here. Well, Dennehy and Glenn are perpetually grizzled, I suppose. But they ain't Clint Eastwood and Pale Rider or Jack Palance in Young Riders Grizzled. Silverado is a western for a younger audience, except the western is inevitably the western, no matter how it tries to reinvent itself. Will Wright, Six Guns in Society, A Structural Study of the Western. Quote, A lone rider sitting easily in the saddle of his dusty horse travels across the plains toward a small new town with muddy streets and lively saloons. He wears a tattered, wide-brimmed hat, a loose-hanging vest, a bandana around his neck, and one gun rests naturally at his side in a smooth, well-worn holster. Behind him, the empty plains roll gently until they end abruptly in the rocks and forests that punctuate the sudden rise of towering mountain peaks. For most Americans, and for a large percentage of the world's population, this scene is familiar, though few people have ever actually experienced it. It does not simply present a familiar setting, it envelops the setting in social and moral meanings, which are immediately understood. The scene literally tells a story, for it recreates the settling of the American West, a time in a history which, as someone said, if it did not really happen, it should have. Certainly the West was wild. But even at its wildest, the actual events could not possibly have included the many stories of glory and suffering, heroism and savagery, love and sacrifice, that the Western myth has produced. Yet somehow, the historical reality of the West 
provided fertile soil for the growth and development of myth. The result has been one of the richest narrative traditions of modern times. End quote. Because Silverado has, at its heart, a variety of characters, that last episode I referenced Flash Cinema calling this Western movie bingo, there are several of Wright's plots operating on top of one another. And then I go too fast. Uh, I go too fast. I did a flyback. No. Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. Will Wright's book I just cited is, as its subtitle suggests, a study into the structure of Western plots. Wright details four plots, three of which are broken down in detail the classical plot, the vengeance variation, and the professional plot. Overall, Silverado fits the professional plot best. Except, our four heroes are not, strictly speaking, professionals. They are good at what they do, but the film operates as if multiple classical plots are happening at once. Instead of a singular cowboy, we've got four. Though he is not in any of my minutes this week, Mao's story drifts into the vengeance variation, and Jake, though amusing, is a superfluous echo of Payton. So what we have here in this scene, in the desert, is the meet-cute of our primary heroes, who are not all that different from one another. Or at least they won't be. Right now, we know Emmett is good with a gun, but we know very little about Payton except that he seems quite comfortable with the notion of his own death here in the desert. In an introduction to film, Thomas and Vivian Sobchak Describe the typical Western hero. Quote, he hates fences and boundaries. He has rejected the stability of marriage and home because it would rob him of freedom and would force him to conform. His true home is the rapidly diminishing wilderness. His only property is his horse and gear. End quote. For Payton, he is without even his minimal amount of property. Yet he seems more at rest than suffering. Let us backtrack slightly. From the script. Emmett reaches the smudge. It is a man, barefoot and dressed only in long jones, his head propped on a rock, eyes closed. The man's skin is burned, red, and beginning to blister, his lips parched. Yet there is a curious ease to his repose. If he has lain down here to die, he has done it in peace. This is Peyton. As minute seven begins... Continuing in the script, Emmett lifts Payton's head and puts the canteen to his lips. Payton's eyes struggle to open in the glare. He takes a few sips of the water. His lips crack with a slight smile at the taste. He looks up at Emmett, takes another sip, and tries to speak. Emmett must lean down to hear his raspy whisper as he tries again. But before he speaks, let us hear from Kevin Klein who tells the aforementioned Stephen Harvey of Film Comment, quote, With Silverado, there was something so absurd about the idea of me playing a cowboy that I couldn't resist it. And I was intrigued by the character, this ambivalent sort of guy surrounded by people who were total absolutes of good and evil. He anticipates 20th century man, in a way, and it was a challenge to play him as a modern man who was still of his own time. I was in Santa Fe for five months, a month before shooting started, to ride the horses and learn how to fast draw and get used to the climate. It was very hard work most of the time, because it was freezing, and there we were out there with our jackets open, trying to act while dying of hypothermia. But I like adverse conditions, because so much of the filmmaking process is tedious, waiting for the shots to be set up, or for them to get the horse and cattle herded back in the right position. Adversity gives it an edge, 
It keeps you alert. You wonder, can you get through this scene one more time and live through it? End quote. Maybe the reason Baden has socks, when the script has him barefoot here, is that it was just too cold out there. Emmett pours water from his canteen into Payton's mouth. Unlike the slight smile from the script, Payton nearly chokes on the water and Emmett takes the canteen away. Second seven, we're on Emmett, the horse behind him, looking down. Second ten, back to Payton, his eyes open, looking up. And I gotta pause now, because now that I'm thinking about the excess of main characters we got here, I wonder why Payton even exists, or why Emmett exists. They should be the same character. Emmett is ambushed at the start of the film by strangers, but wins that gunfight and heads out. Payton was also ambushed, but by men he has been riding with of late. That Emmett has history with Sheriff Cobb and Payton immediately starts working for the same once they're in the town of Turley suggests that maybe at some point this script didn't differentiate between them. Imagine, if you will, a not-so-lonely rider sitting easily in the saddle of his dusty horse, travels across the plains with four other men. He wears a tattered, wide-brimmed hat, a loose-hanging vest, a bandana around his neck, and one gun rests naturally at his side in a smooth, well-worn holster. Behind him, the empty plains roll gently until they end abruptly in the rocks and forests that punctuate the sudden rise of towering mountain peaks. Behind his back, a couple of the other men conspire surreptitiously. They admire his horse, maybe that gun of his, or maybe just his hat. Exterior, desert camp, night. Payton spoons some sort of stew out of a pot hanging over a campfire into a bowl. Behind him, one of the conspirators approaches. Insert. That man steps on a stick. Payton hears the snap and spins, drawing his gun almost too fast for us to see it. Insert. The gun in Payton's hand erupting with a quick explosion. Conspirator 1 flies backward, hitting a dry husk of a log near the tied-up horses. Cut to Conspirator 2, gun in hand, fires at Payton. Payton shoots back, and all becomes a chaos of gunfire as the other men join in the fight, and Payton is outnumbered. He loses his gun and is tackled to the ground. Smash cut. Exterior. Desert. Day. We see something. A distant, horizontal smudge on the glaring sand. Slowly, the camera trucks closer. It is Payton, left to die. He stirs to consciousness, barely able to open his eyes in the midday sun. Cut. He staggers through the desert, still dressed only in his long johns. Maybe one sleeve is gone, or a leg, torn away to become a makeshift scarf he has wrapped around his head. Cut. A lonely town in the distance as Payton comes over a small hill, his back to camera. Cut. Payton wanders into town, finds his way to a rain bucket or a horse trough, desperate for a drink. Maybe he spots a stray coin in the trough. He spots his horse, just as he does in the film, and taking the stray coin he heads into the store, just as in the film. And for a few minutes it's the same film. But also, it turns out Payton was on his way into this particular town because he'd gotten word that his little brother is going to be hanged. An older brother wants to settle down, but has to save his little brother first. Younger brother is the hot-headed one, just as he is in the film. Or maybe, because there's a wagon train in the film as well, for some reason, Payton Emmett is found in the desert by the wagon train. 
it is Hannah who gives him water. It is through conversation with Hannah that we learn that Peyton Emmett's brother is set to be hanged. There's a little less comedy, as Peyton Emmett has been gifted some well-worn clothes to wear by the time they get to Turley. Nitpick with my own riding, the town where he sees the guy with his horse, it's Chimayo, not Turley. And he has gotten a gun already, and for the most part, the plot can continue the same. I mean, I love this movie. This movie was a fixture of my youth. We watched it many times. But watching it again recently, I had to wonder why is there so much going on here? Combine Emma and Payton, and what if the larger plot has really changed? Remove the wagon train or Emmett and Jake's sister. Or maybe their sister takes on the story beats that Mal's sister gets and Mal gets amalgamated apologies, into one of our brothers as well. And it all runs a little more simply. Payton, quiet, pleased to meet you. Emmett leans in. Payton, continued, louder, pleased to meet you. Emmett smiles and sits back up. And we cut, second 28, to their nighttime camp. Payton lies beneath a blanket. Emmett wipes a blade on his sleeve and folds it into its handle and puts it away as he finishes up telling Payton about the opening sequence. Emmett, two of the horses run off, but that pinto you ride and hung around. Payton, you got no idea what they were after? Emmett, nope. Emmett leans to his right, away from camera, to reach the kettle on the nearby campfire. Payton, offend anybody lately? Angle past Payton on Emmett as he pours coffee into a metal cup and returns the kettle to the fire. Emmett, not for five years. Payton understands what Emmett means rather quickly, like maybe he has had run-ins with the law as well. Payton, Jefferson City? Emmett, no, Leavenworth. Angle over the shoulder of Emmett on Payton. Payton, never been in there. Beat. They just jumped you out of the blue? Back to the angle past Payton on Emmett. Emmett takes a breath. Emmett, I had to get up anyway. He smiles at his own joke. Cut to close on Payton, and that's all there is for Minute 7 of Silverado. I've been your host, Professor Robert E.G. Black, host of such Movies by Minutes podcasts as The Room Minute, Annihilation Minute, Mandy Sucks Minute, a podcast fueled by hate, Cock and Bull Movie Talk, and Two Minutes About Time. You can find links to these and more at lemmingdrops.com. I will be your host next time as well. In the meantime, you can find the Silverado Minute on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play or at the main site, SilveradoMinute.com. Or follow the show on Twitter at SilveradoMXM. Or join the Midnight Star, the Silverado Minute Listener's Saloon, on Facebook. Join me here again next time on the Silverado Minute. Yeehaw! and one gun rests naturally at his side in a smooth, well-worn holster. In a smooth, well-worn holster. In a smooth, well-worn holster. Fuck.